Hello and welcome to this very special bonus edition of Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. My name is Stephen Hilger. And uh, first and foremost, um, as we did last time with the bonus episode, I'm going to start by thanking our very generous patrons who make this bonus content possible. Yes. Um, so real quick, I'm going to pull that up one second. This one's more low-key, so I'm going to take my time clicking through some links. Here we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, thank you very much to our generous patrons, Akira, Andrew, Bede, Benjamin D, Benjamin W, Bolt, Brett, Christopher, Hilton, Inez, Jason, Jeff, Cameron, Kim, Kyle, Mark, Marcel, My Muffin Pie, Micah, Min, No Name, Philip, Scout, and Spencer. Thank you so much. Yeah, uh, thanks so much, everyone. Especially for, for the bonus episodes, because you're making it possible. Yeah. Um, Stephen, what are we talking about today? Seasonally appropriate uh, to kind of be the swan song of our spooky season. We're talking about Bloodborne, a game that we've talked about a lot indirectly. Um, yeah. A game that I have streamed a little bit, which I'll which I'll talk about. Um, but a game that we have never talked about directly, which is why I think you and I decided to give it its own bonus episode, and because it means a lot to both of us. Yeah, it felt so so right to talk about Bloodborne uh, as mm-hmm. our October bonus episode this year. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just for me, like. Top, 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 top level. Like, Bloodborne is one of the best games I've ever played. Like, probably in my top five favorite games of all time. Um, just ne- never have I played a game that I clicked with so intensely, so immediately as Bloodborne. Um, even hating it deeply <laughs> as I was playing it at times. Um, never, never was there a moment where I was hating it because it of of the quality of the thing you know what i sure. mean um i was well, hating actually, it because of its brilliance <laughs> you brought this up uh in an earlier episode but you brought up what we are where we are different in terms of our masochism for games mm-hmm. uh which is a strange thing to say but hey it's halloween you said that i am masochism emotionally for the yeah. stories and the attachment that i got to the characters and like you know the the sort of permadeath kind of uh like losing something you care about and like the battle to keep them by all means kind of thing. Um, or keep them alive rather. Uh, and you're more drawn to the masochism uh, mechanically where it's like, what are you being taught? And yeah. there's no better example of that than the Soul series, uh, which includes, I think, most prominently Bloodborne uh, in that regard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like we, we had a whole episode about Sekiro um, that you can go back and listen to just about how wonderful that game is. And I'm sure we'll be talking about that pretty deeply uh, for the Goatee episode because um, that's that's up there as a contender. But even looking back now, thinking about all the Souls games and how I attached all the Bloodborne is like the one. It's like the one and only yeah. for me. It's my North so, Star. I, I, I always like when we kind of share our experience with the game. I think we've, again, probably touched on this a little bit, but I know you shared a little bit of yours there. Do you want to kind of talk about like more in personal detail, like yeah. how you kind of discover this game and how it compared to like, because I think you played Demon Souls. Like you, you were mm-hmm. at the very beginning of this of this bandwagon. Yeah, um, I, I did it out of order, definitely. Um, so you and I, we we've talked a lot uh, about this on the show, but like you and I wrote for a site briefly, and uh, one of the games I was handed to do a preview on was uh, Dark Souls Two. Um, when that came out, that was oh, my that was your first one. That yeah. was my first ever Souls game. Gotcha. Uh, one that like. 
I would love to talk about Dark Souls 2 more at some point because a lot of people really dunk on that game all the time. Um, even like going so far as the developers of that game, FromSoft, went in later and made the um, was that was was that Scholar of the First Sin was was the or is that DLC for something? Anyway, they they made um, like an extra hard director's cut version of Dark Souls 2 later because they were like, sorry, we we goofed up. It was too easy and like it didn't feel like a Dark Souls game because um, it wasn't the the main uh, director Miyazaki working on it. Right, um, he was working on Bloodborne during the time of right. Dark Souls 2. Yeah, uh, uh, so a lot of people kind of uh, have this like misaligned view of Dark Souls 2 as like the weird like black sheep of, of the group. But um, honestly, that game sucked me in so fully. Um, I, I loved it pretty much immediately. Also, um, just kind of a trend with these games in general, um, but the transition in that game from the like tutorial area to just this like streaming uh, sunrise, like uh, kind of... Um, everlasting sunrise sunset like sun vines just kind of like pouring into this canyon and you come out and that's where you find the bonfire and like your whole starting area and that's your hub for all the places you'll go um i i really clicked with that and and really started to understand as i was playing it why people attached so deeply to demon souls and dark souls um like it all clicked for me there and i played through not all of dark souls 2 because i didn't have enough time because i had to move on to other games i actually think destiny 2 or destiny 1 was like around there also um so that obviously became my thing um but but i i loved my time with dark souls 2 and eventually did go back and finish it and and loved it and then loved it so much that i went back and got Dark Souls 1 uh, and played through that and then uh, dug my PS3 out and uh, purchased Demon Souls. I found like an old uh, used copy of Demon Souls and played that for a while. Um, so I, I have like a pretty deep love of this franchise. I will, I will never like consider myself like the... Um, I don't know, the, the shitty online, like, ride or die for the Souls franchise. Um, like, I don't want to align myself with, like, that group of people on the internet. The, like, get good mentality, I think, sucks. But... Yeah, we talked about that a lot with sort of accessibility and the difficulty levels and stuff. Yeah, um, And totally. I think we'll probably touch on that more as we talk about it, because I think that is... I think, like, the difficulty has kind of become the thing this series is known for, uh, but it's not like what the series does best oddly enough like i think it is part of it i think it is especially with bloodborne and with um the first dark souls like it is kind of part of the setting that it is this sort of grueling level difficulty but again it's done in a way where it's teaching you how to play this game specifically yeah um and we will get more into detail with that but like just just in case you've missed earlier episodes with this discussion i think brandon and i are both like under the firm belief that these games would not suffer at all from having easier difficulties. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> it would yeah. just get more people on board and then they would probably try on a higher one once they knew what they were doing. And even know? if they didn't, they still would have had a good time because the game's yeah. tight. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you and I are in complete agreement on that. Um, yeah. So anyway, all that said, like I played all those games uh, and then Bloodborne happened, was brilliant, played through it, loved it, played through it a second time, loved it again. Uh, have not played the DLC still, 
unfortunately. Um, I just never really felt the the impetus to go back and like see more of it because it, what I it experienced felt so good. And then I moved on to Dark Souls 3, which I actually didn't like too much. That's like the only one of those games that I'm like really? iffy on personally. Okay. I've, I've heard that if I gave it more time and got further into it, I would like it more, but I kind of bounced off of it a little bit. Um, wow. I imagine also just based on when that game came out, that was also probably a game that got dunked on by Destiny because I'm sure some DLC came out around that point. So it's like, why go back when there's new Destiny DLC? This is pre into the Aether. Uh, it is uh, like Plato's yeah. allegory of the cave. You hadn't seen the sun yet. I hadn't seen thing. the sun yet. Yeah. I haven't seen the sun yet. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot I've said that before. I'm wow. sorry to throw your own voices back at you sometimes. Um, I have yeah. amnesia about them. We we were just uncovered in the in the ITA crypts that I sang a song about having extra mouths. So like, yeah, I don't know what the hell I'm saying. I don't know why we do this. <laughs> um, um, no, anyway, and then that. and then the last one, obviously being Sekiro, which we loved, loved, loved. Um, yes. And and then honestly, like just my love of this franchise and and this uh, series and what FromSoft has done has kind of expanded outside of that also with the other games that are trying to do similar things and are like exploring the idea of um so so many people online bump up against uh the word souls like and they don't like it but like look it's it's a semantic way of it feels like it's a semantic argument like we're just trying to describe the patterns we see in life you know let us use the word souls like um anyway people are trying to do souls like games um and uh, no better example of that than hollow knight which was my favorite game of last year so yeah i what was that? Was it, who whispered that? I don't know. Maybe it was AJ. 2017 is being mean. Um, I know. I know. I know you did. <laughs> I got the joke. Get it? Because it came out in 2017. You're right. You're right. That is funny. I am laughing. It's um, not funny. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, love, uh, love Bloodborne, love the Souls franchise, um, love everything. Well, not everything, but I love most things that try and be the Souls franchise um, if they get it There's right. There's so many at this point. And that, that's, I think, the, the, and that's something that I noticed. So I've actually played a decent amount of games that have, like, directly call themselves souls alike and hollow knight is probably the best example and i think i think i've said this before but i think it's because hollow knight well hollow knight does really well one it has it very much has its own central identity even though there's a very clear influence it's not like derivative um right but it does what the souls games do well where it has a really really strong sense of atmospheric direction really strong storytelling both through the npcs and the environment and a world that not only do you feel like you've mastered mechanically by the end but that you've like learned and and uncovered almost like you're you know like exploring a a tomb of like forgotten history a lot of the games feel like it's something that has already happened and you're kind of putting together the pieces, which is like a very fun narrative puzzle. Yeah. Um, I do want to mention before we start diving too far into Bloodborne, it is worth touching on the difference, uh, bet- the, the top level, like big difference between the level design in Dark Souls 1 and 2 that I think is is the thing that people point at the most. Dark Souls 2, the, the thing that I found interesting about it was how disparate all of its different areas felt, um, but how it still felt like a cohesive world to me, uh, even though it was like sprawling and kind of like, I don't uh, kind of uh, un- unveiled itself in, in strange ways. Um, I did believe that there was like a, a castle floating in lava just to the left of, of, of a big uh, secondary castle by the sea. Like that stuff felt real to me uh, yeah. within this world. Like it didn't feel too out of place. 
Um, and it wasn't until I went back and played Dark Souls 1 that I started to understand why people didn't like that world. Uh, because Dark Souls 1 really is like a masterwork of game design and of level design in that yes. it is like a labyrinthian uh interconnected tangled web that is so intricate and so perfectly pieced together like like a puzzle with a billion pieces um just somehow fits together magically uh you can't even see the seams between the pieces yeah you know? there's there's so many moments like i remember i think it's right before the bell gargoyles where like you uh there's some door elevator you go down and then it brings you right back to the starting area, which at this point you've deviated pretty far from it. It's been like a tough road away and you're yeah. like, oh my, like it is such a breath of fresh air to be like, oh, now they're like immediately connected. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. I think the only game that comes close to that is Bloodborne in terms of level design, which we will again get into. Yeah. Uh, I just want to mention the, that, the difference between those two specifically because I, I find merit to both. Uh, to both those styles of, of level design mm-hmm. in this case. And I think Bloodborne accomplishes a, a nice halfway point between the two um, yeah. where you will go far outside of your starting area and, and experience new, very, very, very different areas. Um, but they still feel like a connected world. Um, yeah. And they, and they still still feel like part of the same place. For sure. I guess I'll just really, really quickly do my Please. history with it. So... The first game I played was actually uh, Dark Souls 1. I had it on PC. I totally forgot this until now. I also uh, played it on PC, yeah. Yeah, I had it on PC uh, in 2013, so it was two years after it had come out. Because it came out in 2011. At least from my perspective, I didn't hear too much about it upon release. It wasn't until, honestly, Dark Souls 2 came out where I suddenly heard all this praise about the first game. And I'm sure it was a big deal when it first came out, but I just like didn't hear about it in a mainstream way until a couple years later. Yeah. Um. So I played it on PC, having a great time. My PC completely crashed. Uh, I, I have like a shitty laptop. It just completely died. Okay. And then I then I moved to Chicago. Uh, not because of that. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> I I'm tried with these shitty. That I couldn't. I hate these shitty East Coast laptops. I'm moving in the Midwest. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly why. But you know, it crashed, and uh, it wasn't until like so. I didn't. I I, I mentioned uh, jokingly that when we wrote for that website, I only had a 3DS, which is true. There wasn't really a lot out for PS4 for the first couple of years, honestly. Yeah. And I wasn't too... I mean, Xbox One could not have had more negative press on launch. Like, <laughs> you know, right. it was yeah. just ridiculous. So I was happy with my 3DS. My Game of the Year was Awakening. Come at me. Sure um, was. So, uh, but I moved to Chicago. I brought all my stuff with me. So I had my 360. I had my PS2. I had all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. I had my 3DS. And I was kind of in the habit. I got my PS4 in 2016. I was in the habit of uh, replaying older games. And I would still buy older games that I hadn't played initially. I bought like Snake Eater. That's the only Metal Gear Solid game I played. AJ, I know, has been waiting for both of us to play Metal Gear Solid one day. One day, sweet AJ. One day there Um, will be a bonus episode. The entire Metal Gear franchise. (laughs) wrapped up in eight hours of continual recorded audio. There are some series that like you can't just like you know what i mean yeah and i already love too many things to an embarrassing degree that i'm like do i also get into metal gear like is that is that the road i go down i guess i have to i can do a pretty good snake do you want to hear i'd love to yeah after world war ii the world was split into two why wow snake have you ever seen attack of the 50 foot woman no i was just looking to save um anyway (laughs) that was great a little bit of snake eater for you 
Um, I got to play Death Stranding. Yeah, are are either of us going to play that? Are either of us going to get that? I am so uninterested in that game that I feel obligated to get it and play. I keep like one. Like I'm like everyone. I'm intrigued. I think it's like a weird thing. Like it's it's nice to see. It's nice to see a game that makes you go. Huh? Rather than like, okay, another space apocalypse, right? Yeah, where I where I'm at it with it at this point is pretty much like it is so left field out of the box that I feel like the people who are the most excited about it are gonna hate it, and the people like you and me who have no interest in it are gonna fucking love it. But I just feel like every time I watch, like they're like, okay, here's gameplay footage. It's like the main character like walking up a hill, and everyone's like, you know, it's like if this wasn't. Hideo Kojima, like, this would look fucking awful. (laughs) Like, no one would want to play this. It's like, possibly, yeah. You take a piss and then walk up a hill, and then someone's like, This baby's really out of shape. Yeah. What? And the baby grows up to be the director of Drive for some reason. Again, like I'm really, I'm really interested. I, I hope it's good. I, I do like Idio Kojima's stuff. I think he's a very creative guy. But just like out of context, I'm like, this feels like almost like Emperor's New Clothes. Like I will see what happens. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway. anyway yeah. <laughs> um. So I played my computer crash, and then I bought Dark Souls used for my 360. Like mm. uh, a year or two later, my friend Ian, uh, who actually uh, started playing with Bloodborne got really into this series got really good really quick uh he he's a, a waiter so like monday it was just souls day you know like he that's just awesome. like yeah. he got real good and he's become like my guide to these to this series and like Sekiro came out and he had like already platinumed it and he was like yeah like you should do this i'm like oh my god you're incredible too powerful yeah but he was watching me play dark souls one and i got it to the bell gargoyles and i was really enjoying it but like I was playing on my 360. My 360 is kind of old. The right bumper isn't super responsive, and that is like the main attack. And like, yeah. so I feel like I kept attacking twice. So I wanted to attack once, and I just like could not beat the Bell Gargoyles. And I just got really frustrated. And I was like, you know what? This is making me angry. I'm going to stop playing it. Mm-hmm. And I did. I, I stopped. I think a lot of people have that experience with Dark Souls, especially with the Bell Gargoyles. That is the wall. Yeah, that's. Um, yep. So I I I still wanted to get into it, but I was like, I just can't deny that I wasn't having a good time. Like I truly, I, in that experience with the game, I just wasn't enjoying it, and I found it more frustrating than. And I recognize that that was like partially to blame for the equipment I was using and just like my mindset at the time. It just wasn't like I wasn't prepared for that type of game. Right. And then uh, I had I got a PS4 in 2016, and I was I think. I just like got Bloodborne. I was like, you know what? I really want to try uh-huh. to get back into the series. I've heard Bloodborne is a good one to start with. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I had told you at some point. Yeah. you. I definitely have heard like everyone like Bloodborne. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, I'm going to get Bloodborne. I also liked the setting a lot. It's sort of like Jekyll and Hyde meets, uh, you know, like there's a lot of weird genres meshed together. It's like mm-hmm. Jekyll and Hyde meets like... Uh, lovecraft meets like yeah you know whatever uh like victorian literature yeah Um, none of which i really knew when i got the game i i went in so blind all i really knew was that it was kind of victorian era souls game with some werewolves in it maybe and like did not know about any sci-fi shit that was gonna happen (laughs) yeah it gets more it gets it gets very cosmic towards the end which is really interesting so 
I got Bloodborne and I found it. I, I found that the first area, like the, when they just throw you into Yarnum in the beginning, uh, it's worth noting that the game, for those unfamiliar, the game begins, you make a character, you wake up in this like uh, abandoned hospital, basically. Where yeah. People like the, the central. Uh, We'll get more into the story later, but the central like idea is that Yarnum is the city that has this blood that they can perform like miracles with that other hospitals just don't. Like if you ever have some kind of incurable disease or something that like you know you you don't trust like Victorian healthcare to help you with, mm-hmm. go to Yarnum because the blood can do anything. Right. Uh, that's the idea. So you go for unbeknownst reasons, you go to Yarnum to get what's called pale blood. Uh, which is like basically like a magical blood. Um, mm. You're not told this in the beginning. You just see this dude with a big hat going like, ah, pale blood. <laughs> uh, yeah. You wake up. Um, there's a werewolf and it kills you. Like you can kill it, but you only have your hands. And like, unlike our lizard friend Lester in Oblivion, you cannot viably fight with just your hands in this game. Yeah. So you most likely will get killed. And then you wake up in what's called the Hunter's Dream, which is kind of the central hub for this game. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the first Souls game that introduced the idea of like a central hub, which I really like. I think it's important to have like some sense of home in, in, in these games. Uh, yeah. There are, there are a lot of like temporary safe havens in like Dark Souls 1. There's the Firelink Shrine, which is kind of like, or not the, is it the Firelink Shrine? Uh, I believe so. I think that's the what it's called in dark souls one. 3 there's like the actual like shrine where all the npcs are in dark souls 1 it's like a bunch of people around a campfire yeah <laughs> uh dark souls 2 is the beautiful like almost cliffs of moor-esque like by the coast uh like everlasting sunset which i i love that area yeah i've never played uh i've never played uh dark souls 2 that sounds really beautiful oh yeah um, i think you'd like it honestly I'm sure it would. I, I uh, will continue to preach the the good word of Dark Souls too. But anyway. yeah, but I I really uh, Bloodborne just clicked the same thing. Like I really like the setting. I kept dying, but I was like, okay, I really want to see more of this world. Uh, whenever you die, you return to the Hunter's Dream, and there's something about the Hunter's Dream that's so inherently mysterious. Yeah, uh, with the game sold me, or where like I found myself like all in. It's a very small moment, but it it was very powerful to me. When you go to the Hunter's Dream, it's basically like a somewhat pleasant graveyard Mm -hmm. that's surrounded by like, it's like seemingly floating in the middle of the clouds and there's like pillars distant in every direction. Uh, There's a house that's initially locked and there are the weird, which I love, the weird, uh, I forgot what they're called, but they're like weird little skeletons that pop out of the ground. They go like, Yeah, they look very... um, Hayao Miyazaki esque. They do. They, they, they look, look a lot like ghibli. Yeah. the forest spirits, which is probably what they're drawing inspiration from. Yeah. Uh, they're a little bit more monstrous with like teeth and stuff, but they look like the little forest spirits in Princess Mononoke. Also look like the Koroks in Breath of the Wild. It's yes. Probably the same, it's probably the same inspiration um, from folklore or whatnot. But they uh, are the ones that will leave. You can leave notes like a la Dark Souls where you can write like, look out for dogs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh that's what I always write. Like, look out for the dogs. <laughs> um, and uh, I actually didn't know this until recently. If someone 
you choose some like a preset template of phrases to like guide other players that will see your note, which is like one of my favorite features of the game. It's something that I actually missed in Sekiro, but I digress. Yeah, same. Um, but people can rate your note as fine or foul, and if they rate it as fine while you're playing, yep. you get your full health replenished. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so it's a very miraculous thing to happen. Like you'll you'll definitely see your note rated fine. But if your note is rated fine during, I don't know, a very tough boss fight, it's very exciting. Yeah. Um. Anyway. It always so, happened to me when I was just like in between like runs of trying to just get a whole bunch of blood vials. Like yeah. that's always when it happened for me. So the moment that I realized this game was like doing really interesting stuff was you go to the Hunter's Dream, like you said, like I said before, it's a pleasant graveyard and there's a doll that's like lying on like a stoop uh, near like a bird fountain full of the the weird skeleton spirits. Yeah. Um, and if you interact with this, it says it's like, it's just a doll. And once you, uh, once you kill the werewolf and once you do enough things, you get what's called insight, which is this, it's the, it's this game's version of what humanity was in dark souls. Yeah. Um, but it's the idea that the more insight you get, the more clearly you see the world for what it is. Mm -hmm. And once you get that, you go back to the dream and suddenly the doll is standing upright. Uh, and like it doesn't there's no there are very few cutscenes in this game it doesn't stop to show you that but you just suddenly notice it and you're like oh wow okay yeah yeah totally. uh, and the doll is like you're basically your one ally through the whole game uh, <laughs> yeah. she's how you level up so you talk to her and she channels blood echoes through you so you level up you can talk to her and she shares like very simultaneously helpful but cryptic stuff to you mm -hmm. uh i i quoted this in our twitter but one of my favorite lines is she says uh she's a kind of a german accent um i think but she's like hunters have told me about the church about their gods and their love and she says like you know that mortals were made in the god's image or that god's like made mortals and it's like but do the gods love the creations i am a doll created by you humans uh and then she goes of course i do love you isn't that how you have made me like that's one of the coolest quotes in the game yeah and somehow stuck with me and kind of like even if what she says doesn't give you like a very clear narrative clarity it does set the tone for what's happening um, just like Dark Souls, a lot of the story here is through item descriptions and through the environment, but like more in the environment, I would say like a lot of the item descriptions are like sweaty clothes or like, you know, blood, <laughs> blood soaked skulls. Well, I can kind of put two and two together. Yeah. Um, but uh, there are still some cool stuff to to uncover in the item descriptions. But yeah, so my experience before we get into the game, because now I'm getting into the game, Love Bloodborne, it sealed the deal for me for this type of game. I went back to Dark Souls 1, liked mm. it way more. Nice. Uh, checked out Dark Souls 3, and I liked that game quite a bit. Um, Dark Souls 3 feels the most, I don't want to say mainstream of all of them, but it does feel like the most streamlined of this type of game. Mm. Um, but what I really liked about Dark Souls 3 is that it just gave me more of what I liked. Like, there's a lot more stuff with the NPCs, which I really enjoyed. Um, yeah. There is a lot of uh, class customization, which is, like, like something that the series has now kind of stepped away from with Sekiro. Right. Um, which is not to the detriment of it. They're very different games. But, like, I like the ability to make my character, like, be whoever they want to be and, and fight however they want to fight. So, right. like, if you like that, Dark Souls 3 has, like, by far the most options. 
And it just felt like a really good finale to that trilogy. You know, if they, if they, I don't think they probably like wanted to make it a trilogy, honestly, but since they ended up doing it, I feel like that was a good way to wrap up that series. Yeah. That game is, that game is beautiful and, and, uh, constantly surprising. It, I, I honestly could not really articulate why it didn't hold my attention. Um, but I don't know, maybe that means I should go back and finish it. Yeah, I, I really, uh, I, I'm into Dark Souls 3. I have never finished it. And actually, I, it's worth pointing out, I've never finished Bloodborne either. But I've gotten very far and I know everything about what happens. So this will be a full spoiler kind of episode. Although yeah. you can't even really spoil this game because like all we're really doing is raising more questions. <laughs> you know, like it's sort of like our interpretation. And that's what I think makes Bloodborne beautiful is that um, while I really, and, and in our Sekiro episode, we talk about this. Sekiro is the only game in this entire series that has a concrete narrative that you're experiencing in real time. Right. I think it pays off. I think it's like one of the reasons Sekiro is probably one of the strongest narrative experiences, not only in this series, but in video games in general, honestly. But Bloodborne is like a dream to interpret, and it's so intentionally that way. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so right away the stuff, and now we'll just get into Bloodborne. Uh, I think I said everything I want to about my experience with it. The, the returning to the dream for me was like a really nice thread to keep me going because every time you go back to the dream, there's something a little different. Uh, there's always something worth exploring. Uh, there might be new items for sale. A door um, will there, be open. A person will be standing there. Yeah, Right. And, and that stuff I found very effective. And it was also just a nice palate cleanser between horrific shit, you know? Betwixt uh, horrific be, shit. Betwixt horrific shit. Um, <laughs> if this was a standard episode, that would be the name of it i think <laughs> it, it would absolutely be the name of it betwixt terrific shit um yeah. and i chose the axe as my first starting weapon so this game you choose one of three mm-hmm. melee weapons and two uh long range weapons you don't have a shield this time there is a shield but it's like a joke weapon um you have a gun and a melee weapon uh there's the pistol and the repeater um oh excuse me there's the pistol and the blunderbuss yep uh, There's only one the, correct choice there. The blunderbuss. Oh yeah, blunderbuss is great. I'm using it for the first time in my current run, which I'll talk about. Oh, um, and that's why you're having I started, more fun now. Yeah, I started with the pistol and the axe, which is probably the hardest layout yeah, to start. That's rough. With. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but I got to. Uh, I got. Well, it's worth noting before you move on, like the conceit of this game's weapons uh, are, are that they're all quote unquote trick weapons. Um, or at least that's what they were called. So they are weapons that have transformations that can happen mid combo or outside of combos. So you can have, uh, for example, one of my favorite ones is a very long sword that you insert into uh, a giant like Waluigi style hammer. Um, yes. that you can switch back and forth between at all times. The Kirk like hammer that. rules. Yeah. And, and that, that would actually use that more than the, uh, than the ax as a strength build. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, the starting ones, there's a saw, uh, that's on the cover of the game. The character is holding the saw on the blunderbuss, which is what I'm using in my current run. Yes. Uh, I've been streaming this for the show. I made a goth version of Zell from Final Fantasy VIII. Oh my Zeal. God. Great. His name is Zeal. He's a lovely boy and he rules. Uh, I play this game after, you know, being familiar with this game after playing Sekiro. And I was amazed. I, I beat one of the hardest bosses in one try. I was like, what am I doing? I've become, <laughs> maybe just how good the blunderbuss and the saw are. I've but, become death. And the, the conceit of the gun is that. That's the new parry system. So if you shoot certain enemies right before they're about to attack, it 
like you hear a audio cue there's like mm-hmm. a, a chime and they're stunned for a second you can go and you can pull off what's called a visceral attack which are very powerful yeah so it's the same thing in Dark Souls where if you parried with your shield at the right time, you can get in a really powerful hit. So yeah. the other key difference is that uh, you have this small window of time where if you attack an enemy after losing health, you regain health back. Right. Um, so both of those things kind of keep you on the offense because you could play a lot of Dark Souls hiding behind your shields. And, and yeah. you know, a lot, of, a lot of that game is very defensive and very much a game of patience. This game is about dodging and timing you know yeah. most importantly yeah so um, there is still it's interesting because but... I, fe- I feel like there's a there's a trend in the FromSoft um souls-like combat design where the souls games like starting with demon souls definitely uh and then dark souls dark souls 2 and dark souls 3 even um feel like they kind of very slowly uh lean a little bit out of intentionality where like demon souls definitely and dark souls and dark souls 2 i think are all about what you were just talking about with like sitting back patience looking for openings taking shots when you can um but like really just settling in and making sure that like you can definitely spend the next 30 minutes fighting a boss if you need to. You know what I mean? Because, yeah. like, it might take that long to yeah. successfully beat it. Unless you know everything and you're fucking brilliant, you know, immediately. But your first time through, it's going to be rough. Bloodborne, I think, was the first, like, holy shit, turning the entire thing on its head uh, kind of scenario. Because of that, like, this is not about intentionality. This is not about looking for openings i mean it will be eventually but it's really just about internalizing the controls and the mechanics on such a deep deep level that you are acting without thinking as frequently as possible um and then you know we could we could even extrapolate that out to Sekiro, which like that game is the perfect marriage of the dark souls and the bloodborne ideas of or ethos of, of combat design where like you have to really fucking understand exactly how they want you to play it, but also you need to hang back and look for openings, um, which is interesting. We'll you also like uh, Sekiro, like you have to stay on your toes constantly of what the game wants you to do. Cause like Bloodborne, once you figure out visceral attacks, a lot of things become way easier. Like that's yep. what my current experience is. Like the, there are enemies that are like werewolves and kind of like, uh, uh, like ogres that have like, either just like a brick of cement or like a whole ass statue in a bag. <laughs> like, you know, I love the weapons. It's like, they just found like a haunted gargoyle to throw at you. Yeah, um, just throwing AOL demo discs at you. And like the first time I played those games, what I did was I, I was like, okay, I got to dodge out of the way, get an attack when I can. And like, I, I did it. And that's a way you can do that. But if you know how to pull up visceral attacks, you can take them out in one hit. Yep. And suddenly... You know, I'm progressing way faster. At the same time, I really enjoyed the time I spent. Like that first area, I, you know, I streamed this game a few weeks ago and and got through the first two bosses like within a handful of hours or maybe like two hours. I would yeah. say the first time I played, it took me probably three hours to like get through that beginning town area and and get to the cleric beast the first boss because like it, it just you know i i didn't know where enemies were there's a lot of surprises if you just jump right in you'll get overwhelmed by how many people in yarnum want to kick your ass they all go <laughs> it's all your fault uh why why uh very dickensian and like yeah. it's the night of the hunt so like everyone who's like not basically like a quasi werewolf 
is rightfully staying inside. And if you knock on your, their door, they're like, no, get out of here. Yeah, I'm not what opening the, fuck the door. What do you mean open the door? <laughs> yeah. And it's weird because some people are like, hey, no, no, no. Like, you're on your own, pal. Sorry. Other people are like clearly maybe turning inside as well. Like the, one yeah. of the most scary moments for me is like there's a house that, there's, that is laughing nonstop. Mm-hmm. Like really eerily yeah oh yeah i know exactly which one you're talking about do you think that that implies that like if you were to come back a week from now everything would be normal and people would just be like out in the streets just like hmm, hmm, hmm gonna buy some well, apples today and, i think and that's the thing that's really interesting is because there's a lot of stuff in this game that implies this whole thing could be a nightmare like yeah the the game begins with you getting blood drawn and it fades to black and they even say like this whole thing might feel like a dream right and then you wake up and you're you know, the whole thing begins. So like, I don't think right. it gets, Ooh, it's all a dream. But like there is, I mean, there are some bosses like a uh, Mikolash who you fight, uh, who the dude with the cage in his head that runs away from you. Love um, that fight. He's oh one my of my God. favorite. Also, there is uh, a very brilliant artist out there or maybe a collection of artists. I'm not sure who made it, but some one or a group of people drew all the bloodborne bosses as Disney characters. And Oh my Nikki, God. Mickey Lash is that. It's Mickey with the cage in his head. Wow. Uh, with the Father ears sticking Goof, out? Yeah. Father Goofscoin was my favorite. Holy it's shit. Is. Father Goofscoin. I got to look great. up. Highly recommend it. Uh, but yeah, so I think what kept me going this time, because I was also frustrated, it was also stressful. And like, I think what I found harder in Bloodborne than the bosses were the areas in between bosses. Learning the yeah. best routes to places and like learning not to get overwhelmed by enemies and not get surprised by enemies and all that stuff. That took me a long time, but I was so in love with the world and the setting that I didn't mind returning to it. And I didn't mind the like masochistic mechanicalness of it where like I felt myself getting better each time. And it wasn't about like being good quote unquote it was about understanding the rhythm of the game and like the game was so clearly teaching me um and that's a very hard thing to pull off because like i don't blame anyone who gets frustrated by this game like it's not for everyone like if you wrote it off the same way i wrote off dark souls the first time i played it that's fine uh i just think something about the the uniqueness of the setting and the almost like rhythmic nature of like going back and and all that because like you you lose your blood echoes when you die, but it's never really that big of a deal. Like generally you know, not, like, yeah. You know, unless you're like really hoarding blood echoes and like you don't get them back. Like it's usually like okay, it'll get them back some in some way. And the world is open enough. Like there's there's a path pointed to you. Uh, you talk to Gilbert, and he's like, go to the church. But like there are enough forks in the road that like you might choose just to walk somewhere else the next time you revive, and you'll find something completely new i play this game now three different times with three different characters and i always find something new yeah um or i find a different route somewhere and and or i or i make a connection in my head of like what the setting means for the lore and the story and all Mm -hmm. that yeah um so yeah i i think that um uh so it begins in in yarnum's the city obviously i touched on uh yeah the blood that was being used for medicinal purposes is now basically beginning a plague where it's turning the citizens into monsters. So very familiar stuff right away. The, the I would say the first like five to 10 hours of the game are like very Jekyll and Hyde, very like werewolves and, and all that. And that's that rules. That's great. Yeah. Um, 
But, you know, this story might not seem what really keeps it going is stuff like the doll. You're like, what is this? You know, like I've seen all the, oh, man will become a beast. Like, cool. But like, what's going on with the doll? What's going on with the pillars and the clouds? Like the seed is planted. Right. Um, I think the game really gets going once you get to like the the lost academies and libraries. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That's that's you, when the you think you know what the game is and it's like fuck you you have no idea and you learn that that a lot of the characters that you'll later meet are these scientists basically that not only saw the blood as you know a medicinal resource but also saw it as the key to humankind's evolution yeah in like a 2001 kubrickian way right um so a lot of the game and a lot of souls games in general are kind of about like you know an icarus ambition and the downfall that follows yeah um but what makes it interesting is like the key to the like the key to the cosmos that humankind was trying to create was created and that door is open and we get to see it later on yeah you know so i think to, the so game to, to back up to what you were talking yeah, about before with please. like as you continue to be bosses you get more insight quote unquote First of all, there are entire runs of this game that are like low insight, no insight runs where like you just get all the way to the end without getting any insight, which is like fascinating to me. But the more insight you collect, uh, the more you start to see the like twisted shit that people have kind of wrought onto the world, Um, whether that be like uh, humanity in its most like depraved uh, impulses has drawn it in. Uh, or it was there the whole time and they've just figured out a way to tap into it. And now you have two. Um, I, I don't know if that's explained. Um, you know, Steven and I are not like lore masters for this, but right. um, it, it's ambiguous enough that it could be either. And I find that interesting. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, the, I think the game is largely open to interpretation, especially with the endings, uh, which there are several, obviously. Yes. It's one, it's one of those games. So, yeah, I mean, I could, I'm, I'm kind of now, now that we've sort of, brushed over the overview of it i'm wondering like do you want to get into like more about the mechanics do you want to get more into just going through the story in a linear way do you want to talk about it boss per boss how do you want to because it's an even hard game to discuss linearly because i'm like just trying to structure how we're going to talk about the rest of the story and everything like that yeah um how about this we're like almost an hour into recording at this point do you want to take a little break and uh we'll come back and dive into whatever we decide on that sounds lovely cool all right break it is farewell good hunter Brendan. Hey. Hey, we're back from our break. And uh, <laughs> I said, hey, like that. And you immediately put your hand to your temple and closed your eyes. Like, oh, no. That was unrelated to you. I bet, um, I bet it was. This game is structured and always like a nightmare. And I mean that in the best way possible. So we're just trying to discern like how we're going to discuss it in an interesting way. Basically, we decided that we're just going to go through boss by boss. And we're going to talk about the boss fights, but we're also going to talk about the settings that lead up to them and sort of the mood that that evokes. Because if nothing else, this game is really just so atmospheric and evokes such a unique mood and vibe that that's what I think we'll have a lot of fun discussing. Um, and yeah. both of our own interpretations of that. Because again, we're not like lore experts. We'll, we'll definitely touch on that. 
but we're not going to be like, did you know that Father Gascoigne was actually Goofy's dad? You know, like, we don't know that. So, uh, or at least, but we don't you know. not know that, which means that it might be true. Father right. Gascoigne might be Goofy's dad. I'll never tell. Uh, starting <laughs> off, yuck, technically you know? an optional boss, which I I didn't quite understand, but now I know that you can actually get to Father Gascoigne before this fight. Um, but the first fight that you'll most likely encounter is the Cleric Beast. Yes. It's a giant werewolf uh, that screams like a banshee. Mm-hmm. And ha- the most notable detail, which is kind of easy to miss, but that stuck out to me the first time I played it, Another kind of, I also like the phrase screams like a banshee is like a colloquial one, but like literally. That is actually what, what happens here. Yeah. Yes. Like in this case, like I'm not just being like screams like a banshee, like your weird uncle. Like, no, like this <laughs> yeah. actually screams like a And you a hear banshee. it beforehand also. You hear yeah, it before you like, even get to the bridge. <laughs> yeah, and it's, also, it's, I think for, it's from the first uh, lamppost you find, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I might be wrong there, but you can see the bridge from afar and you can see the cleric beast climb up the side of the bridge, which is awesome yeah. it's your first indication that like okay so you're fighting like human-sized werewolf things but that's not all there is to this world yeah this thing is about as big as like a, a, a small tower <laughs> <laughs> right it could fit dozens of you in it uh yeah but the thing that stood out to me with this fight was that it is largely bipedal and if you look at its hind leg it has a blood vial sticking in it so it's worth noting that when you heal yourself, you inject in your thigh a blood vial, like just a quick syringe. It's like a very brutal yeah. uh, animation. And you do that a lot. Like the road to the cleric beast is sure a long do. one. You're going <laughs> to die a lot. You're going to use blood vials a lot. It's I've said this in the stream. My only big gripe with this game is that you don't get your blood vials back when you respawn. Yeah. I hate, because not all enemies drop them. So like, you have to sometimes go back to areas to get more blood vials to then go back. That's that's tedious. You but, will inevitably start blood vial farming at a certain point, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, whatever. It, if the environment wasn't so amazing to explore, it, it, it would be a bigger issue, but, like, it just doesn't add anything to it. Right. Um, my one gripe. But uh, I bring up blood vials because the road to this boss is full of you using a lot of blood vials you as a player, independent of the lore, like you've heard a lot about blood and how people use it. That's all great. But you yourself rely on it to survive. Yeah. Uh, and then suddenly you see this giant beast that has also seemingly done that based on the syringe that's permanently stuck in its thigh. Yeah. I thought that was so fucking brilliant. I still love it. Um, that is it. I, can I tell you something? Never noticed that, but love that as like a warning sign to the player that like, yes. hey, you keep doing this. You're going to turn yeah. into the cleric beast. Right. The cleric beast is trying to scare you straight. Basically, <laughs> it was like, stop using blood. I dare you to stop using blood vials. Do you want to scream like a banshee? No, but it can't talk. So it's just like, <laughs> but it's trying to guide you in the right direction. Um, uh-huh. This fight's not one of the hardest ones, but it's like a good example of how most bosses go. Or like, it's got a series of, of attacks that you will slowly learn and the best thing to do is just to stay behind it yeah. and to get out of the way and to be quick and dodge and all that stuff i don't think you can do visceral attacks on the cleric beast um um i think there is a way 
If there is, it's not super easy to do. No, um, but th- this is definitely a fight that like hot off the heels of playing other Souls games like this fight is going to be the one that fucks you up because either you are yeah. new to these games and you don't understand how hard it's going to be once you hit these bosses because you have just spent probably five to ten hours alone just playing through to get to Cleric Beast. And, yeah, and then you're going like- to get to it and it's just going to be hard as hell or you've played these games before and now this is this game is throwing up its first wall saying you need to unlearn everything you know about playing dark souls and you need to learn this yeah. new way of playing this game like for context with dark souls like the asylum demon is a tough boss for your very first time playing that but yes. like you learn pretty quickly that if you attack from if you do the attack from the uh, top of the balcony which is like the tutorial yeah you'll do like half its health and then from there it's fine Taurus Demon's like oddly really easy. That's like a really easy boss. It's the second one. I have been playing. Uh, I we haven't even talked about this at all. I've been playing Dark Souls on the Switch because they released it on the Switch. Yeah, um, I had that too. And I got to Taurus Demon, and I was just like, all right, just like prepping for this fight, and jumped down off of the ladder, and he immediately jumped into the air, and then off the side of the bridge and died immediately. <laughs> I did not even fight him. Yeah, Taurus Demon's like like you know when we say easy boss it's like with the heavy quotes but Taurus Demon actually easy yes um the next boss is the bell god the bell gargoyles which um that's like it's the it's the it's what uh they try to do in in um remnant where Ixius the 16th shows up like you're Mm -hmm. fighting the bell gargoyle it's going pretty much like the asylum demon it's a tough boss hits hard you know yeah but yeah at that point you know what you're doing but then you see a second health bar show up and now there are two of them and it's like oh my god yeah this game yeah um so we say all that because the wall comes much later in the other games the wall comes pretty quickly here yeah uh and the cleric beast is arguably that um but this is sort of like this is such a good finale to this first area of yarn i'm like this is the mm-hmm. most like you know i i, I know we kind of dismiss the like werewolves in london like genre of it because we're more interested in the cosmic stuff but like it is so effective and like this boss is such a cool way to even one up that expectation of like you know am i gonna fight a werewolf i've seen werewolves but have you seen this weird one that's a warning (laughs) no you haven't right yeah and and to be fair like this yes i'm i'm definitely more interested in the cosmic stuff but you don't even know that exists when you're playing you know for the first time right when this game comes out and like I would have been so okay with an entire game of this. The oh, fact yeah. that it turned into anything beyond this was just icing on the cake that I was already enjoying. Um, I think we're going to talk about the next boss for a while because this is this is one of the one of my favorite boss fights in the game. Arguably yeah. one of the hardest as well. Yeah, no, th- this uh, this is the um, Taurus Demon to Bell Gargoyles jump. This is like yeah. this is like you go from Cleric Beast, which is like difficult for a bunch of reasons but like definitely doable to father gascoigne which is the second like boss or the first official boss depending on how you play the game but like for most people it's gonna be the second boss and this is like the wall this is like the if you have not internalized how the parry system works in this game how the visceral attack system works in this game you are you're just fucked and i have talked to so many people who have started this game, gotten to Father Gascoigne, and bailed. Like, this is the thing that kicks people out of this game also. Yeah, so here you fight... Uh, it, one of the few cutscenes in the game, you hear him mumble something cryptic to himself, and he's, like, hacking at a dead body. Mm-hmm. And he's dressed kind of like you, and he fights a hell of a lot like you. He's got a trick weapon and a gun. Yep. And he rolls out of the way, 
and he fires at you to stun you and then gets in an attack. And he uh, pauses the game to get his hot pocket out of the microwave. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, and he goes I, it's and hard. He, but, and he goes to seventh grade and he lies about his homework. Then he gets a test back from social studies and it's a D minus and he has to get his mom to sign it. And he thinks that he can fake it, but he gets caught immediately. The auditions of the spring musical are in a couple of weeks and he's like, fuck, I'm a werewolf. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, <laughs> he fights like you, he has gun and a, and a, and a saw, I think. And, mm-hmm. um, the second phase of the fight is he, he uses the trick weapon to go into its second form. We also didn't say the trick weapons, the ax gets like real big. The saw gets real big. <laughs> the can becomes a whip. The can's my favorite. Love yeah, the, can. the can is fun. Um, the can's got the most character to it. Although I think the saw is probably the best, but anyway, um, depends on how you combine them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the third phase of the fight is he just becomes a werewolf. And yes. that's where it gets real hard and most people die, myself included. Yeah. Um, I just want to give myself, I, I don't want to brag ever, but when I did the stream with Goth Zell, Zeal, I beat him in one try and I couldn't believe it. It's amazing. Like, I could not believe it. And like, I mean, that just goes to show like it took me several years of playing this game to realize what I had to do for this fight. Right. Um, there is a way to beat it without doing any visceral attacks it's just harder right but if you do know how to pull them off this fight will go real quickly your way it's kind of like the fight in sekiro uh the boss right before genichiro where like it either goes really quickly against you or really quickly for you depending on what you've internalized yeah um right and, and if, you, if you have spent uh the entire time up until father gascoigne like actually thinking about what the very, very limited, almost non-existent tutorial has taught you about doing visceral attacks and you've practiced it and you've gotten good at it, you will probably have a much easier time with this. But I imagine most people have decided, I'm just trying to survive here. I'm not trying to learn any high-level mechanics uh, and you know, at a certain point realize, shit, visceral attacks aren't a high-level mechanic. That is just a thing I need to know how to do always. I think narratively, Father Gascoigne appears at a really cool time in this game, too, because at this point, the paths have branched off a little bit. At this point, you actually get to talk to more people who are still conscious. Yeah. Um, You talk to an old woman who's like, hey, do you know where I can hide? Like, do you know of any safe places? And like, eventually you find Odin Chapel where the chapel dweller lives. He's like one of my favorite characters in the Mm -hmm. game. Such a sweetheart. Uh, And you can send certain NPCs there and like you can, that's like your hub, if you will. Yeah. Other than the, other than the dream the chapel is like the other safe area um, and you can send NPCs there and they all have their different stories that play out. Um, there's a Della the nun. There's uh there's um, someone who works as like a sex worker and like the, uh, one of the various streets in Yarnum. Um, she's a really cool story. You get a whole rogues gallery at the chapel. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's the only time you'll ever hear a character happy. The chapel dweller is like, oh, I made a new friend. They seem okay. And it's like, this is all going to end poorly, I know. But yeah, I'm absolutely. glad you're happy for now. I, I bring that up because one of the characters you can meet before the Father Gascoigne fight is a young girl who's hiding. Um, and she gives you a music box. And she asks for you to look out for her mom, who says she like her mom is wearing this like red brooch, basically. Mm-hmm. Really heartbreaking vocal performance from whoever the young actress is. They did a great job. It's like they the saddest. Really did, yeah. It's brutal. Uh, it's one of the saddest things. But you know, so if you play them, and this is a brilliant thing, if you play the music box, uh, if you read the description of the music box, it's very clear that Father Gascoigne is this girl's father. Um, yeah. 
And if you play the music box during the fight, it will stun him for a bit. Like he holds his head and like screams in pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will make the fight easier. However, it makes him turn into a werewolf faster. So just a really like I bring that up because that's just the level of like narrative detail this game has. It's completely up to you to discover. Yeah. Um, and how interwoven it is with the combat. Like they coexist so seamlessly. It's a really heartbreaking fight. And of course, one of the many bodies in this like torn apart graveyard is the girl's mother. And you could go back to her and tell her that and she starts crying. Uh, if you have any kind of heart in you, you will tell her about Odin Chapel uh, so she can get there safely. And if you do, she gets eaten by a pig. Yeah. Um, it is the most grim fucking fate. And you find at, her the, entire the bow game. in her hair. Yeah. Just so like do what ground. I do and just get the music box and never go back because <laughs> that, that story does not end well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it does unlock. If you get those bows, it makes all your uh, the bath messengers and the weird skeleton spirits have bows in their head. Right, so. and that makes it all okay. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't because you can also unlock top hats for them. And once you do that, you're not going to make them wear anything else. That's true. That's a great point. So that's probably the guess going. Do you have anything to add to that fight? It's really, honestly, like if I had to make like a demo experience of Bloodborne's like majesty as a game i think i could just point to that fight and almost be done yeah i don't have too much to add outside of um this fight also was the first one where i started to break free of my normal i was gonna pick a genre but pretty much just any game uh mentality which is i don't use items in like pretty much every game i play i don't use items and actually sekiro i i ended up not using items really at all bloodborne i broke free of that because i realized that any kind of beast is susceptible to fire and and that just made that fight significantly easier um, and, and started to really actually finally for the first time in a long time, like in a game plan how to use my consumable items. Um, so I just appreciated that with Gascoigne. For sure. Because that fight was um, so fucking hard. That was such a wall for me the first time I played this. I could not oh yeah. get visceral attacks at all. I was awful at them for such a long time, not realizing that I'd pick the pistol, which is the worst of the two if you want to pull up visceral attacks <laughs> yeah. like, reliably. Now that I remember it, the very first time I played, I actually summoned people to help me with a lot of the boss fights. And, oh, like, really? That actually we were saying before about like if you're frustrated, if you're frustrated, do that because it makes it so much easier. Yeah, like totally. I will say like, you know, if you want to experience like the fights you know, like as we're describing them, try it on your own. If you reach that wall and you're not having fun, summon a friend and you'll get to experience more of the game. There's no shame in that. I summoned a friend tonight on the Skype is call. It, is, oh, is it me? It's you. Did you. Did you ring a bell and I was like, hello, and I did a weird bow. Uh-huh. Um, I love the gestures you can do in this game. You can put a cage in your head and just do this weird like hand out to each other. It's so good. <laughs> um, Steven is acting out all of these. Yeah, the visual visual uh, i wish we had some kind of uh i don't know what am i saying anyway <laughs> i summoned a friend uh the first time uh but you know i think that it's worth trying on your own um if you if you if you have it in you yeah um but i think i'm glad that the option exists to summon someone to help because it and there's also npcs you can summon to help uh alfred is kind of like the solaire uh where he'll help you out in certain boss fights so mm-hmm. there are all those options um you still have to get through the areas in between, which I would argue are sometimes even harder. But yeah, uh, there's a way to cruise through the game if you just want to see, like, if you just want to experience the environments and stuff. Right. Um, and I, I bring that up because 
Father Gascoigne with one other person is like night and day. It just ends. <laughs> I did not have that experience the first time, only until I played again that I was like, oh, wow, this is a really tough fight. And it took me hours. Yeah. And then I made Gothazel and beat him in one try. So, like, I've experienced the full <laughs> scope of Father Gascoigne. Right. Um, um, yeah. The next boss fight, do you want to move on or do you have anything else? No, absolutely. Let's do it. So I usually fight the Bloodstar Beast next. The list we have here has Vicar Amelia next. Which one do you want to talk about? Uh, either one. I mean, they're both very similar. They're both like honestly, um, kind of strange inverses of one another in terms of their their designs, at least. Yeah, we could talk about both. I think maybe together then, because like these are in similar areas of the game. Uh, the Bloodstar Beast is at the end of an area called Old Yarnum that is actually. One of my favorite areas in the game. One of the most frustrating parts, it's but awesome. one of my favorites. There's a guy, uh, you go through this door and you hear a voice going like, hey, turn back. Yeah. The, you know, the hunter will become the hunted, basically. Yeah. And you keep going and you fight a bunch of beasts and he's like, okay, I warned you. And then you just start seeing bullets like flying at you. And there's a guy just on the roof of this building that's just firing basically like a Victorian minigun at you through the entire area. Yes. Um. But you quickly learn like which areas are okay, which areas aren't, and like I know that area like the back of my hand. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a really cool area. And whenever you get killed, he goes like, "I wonder if you still dream. If you do, well, give it some thought." <laughs> so good. I love that character. You can fight him too on the roof. Um, and he often falls off. It's a really tough fight if he doesn't fall off the roof, which is very easy to make him do. Mm-hmm. But if you go back to him later on in the game, you can actually talk to him. Yeah, you can like, just have like a, a little chat. I'd recommend doing that because he actually has some really interesting stuff to say. But once you get past him, um, at the end of the area, the boss is the Bloodstarved Beast. It's actually shortly after you meet Alfred as well, and you can summon him for this fight. The Bloodstarved Beast is a weird, rabid werewolf dog with a veil of roast beef. That is like our joke of covered in barbecue sauce. Like this is like the queen of barbecue sauce herself is the blood starved beast. Yeah. I don't, Um, I don't think we've explicitly mentioned that on the podcast in a long time. So just (laughs) to clarify, (laughs) we frequently talk about how everyone in these games is just slathered in sweet baby rays. Yeah, everyone is covered in barbecue sauce, including the player. After a while, and yeah, uh, the Bloodstarved so, Beast. Yeah, Bloodstarved yeah. Beast is the the design is very interesting in that it is a werewolf that it seems like has been kind of flayed down the back, and and its skin is hanging over the sides of it. Um, but almost like a week, because there there are like cultists that you fight before that have like hoods on, so it looks like it's wearing a big hook, but it's actually of its own flayed skin. Yeah. It's a nightmare. Such a, like it is a nightmare, but it fucking rules. I love the Bloodstarved Beast. Yeah, uh, one of the hardest bosses too, um, because not only is it like really fast and kind of irregular in its attack pattern, but it also leaves pool of poison around wherever it goes. So like, right. there's a reason why all the enemies in the area drop antidotes to so keep those stocked up. Yeah. Um, this fight usually like either takes me a long time or I get it right away. It really just depends on on what's happening this was the only one i called in uh help for yeah i don't blame you it's a really tough one um but it's it's a fun one too it's a really yeah like this is one where like you're gonna stand up and like like whenever i need to really focus i stand up and i just like i had to give this one my full attention (laughs) yeah such a fun fight vicar amelia is kind of the opposite also a veiled figure this is one of the few cutscenes in the game and actually vicar amelia is one of my favorite boss designs uh you at the end of the chapel which like 
there are a lot of characters that have like uh like weird masks that are walking around with canes um yeah they look almost like the scream mask in a way they do and they they resemble the hunters in white and i do know this about the lore the hunters were basically people that were employed by the church to control the plague that was starting because of the blood right so the hunters in black which is what father gascoigne was uh the hunters in black would go out and fight the monsters whoever returned into a beast the hunters in black would go and fight uh the hunters in white would take preventative measures and just burn down houses and streets of like people that haven't hadn't transformed yet yeah really minority eerie. report they're precogs right we so, know how that worked out for tom cruise what's really eerie is you see all these beasts that are walking around with canes and like they look like water plant uh they look like plant uh god what's the word gardeners they look like sprinklers they look oh, like okay. you know what you would water a plant with but they're like they can spread some fire out it's like they were just like casually spread fire around mm-hmm. really eerie i love that like you can see like a lot of the enemies are stuck in whatever their rhythm in life was right. um viker amelia is at the top of this like big grand and this is where it feels almost a little more dark soulsy because it's a bit more grand you're like at these religious epicenters yeah. um and in this big open cathedral uh, a, a woman is praying and then you hear her start screaming and she transforms into this like demonic reindeer almost that yeah. has like a like a it's eyes covered like almost near automata style with, like, i was just about to mention it to be yeah in, in bandages yeah. yeah in bandages it's like if like rudolph to be meshed and then became a demon yeah a very strange mix-up but like it oddly works and this this is another giant enemy and I loved it because it just like it was starting to stray from like because you know as much as I love Veils of Roast Beef and Werewolf Father Gascoigne, mm-hmm. uh, you know it's still a lot of variants in werewolves. Now we're fighting like a weird like priestess deer demon. Yeah, I love that. This is a pretty tough fight. It, it's mostly this is this feels more like a Dark Souls fight because she has a lot of health and she hits really hard and it's a little bit more of a game of patience. Yeah, it's worth pointing out that if you summon help for this fight, you get two other people. So it takes three people to take on Amelia. And takes a village. The, the, the music that plays during this boss fight is unreal. I love. I think it's the same song as the Cleric Beast, but you can hear it a bit better because the Cleric Beast is constantly like, <laughs> so like <laughs> yeah. you can hear the song in this one. Yeah. Um, this fight is so, so cool. And, and you, one of my you're favorites. absolutely right to, to compare it to Dark Souls. Because um, this is like kind of almost like just trying to think what's next but i think this is like peak gothic bloodborne like this is like bloodborne like at its most gothic until you get a little bit further into um the more like cosmic uh psychological horror shit uh that happens. yeah so then um the next area is really interesting you basically go into the woods yeah uh, and that's where the game gets <laughs> hey if you thought it was hard just wait to the woods because one of the first things that happens is you walk into a cabin of course Mm-hmm. And there's a dude who's like casually walking ahead of you holding a lantern. And you're like, oh, who is this? Like, but he's walking so casually and he's seemingly so human that you're like, maybe I can talk to him. Yeah. You get to him, his head explodes Resident Evil 4 style, and like a big snake is there. And you're like, okay, point taken. And like, he will kill you in one hit. Yes. Um, this whole area is full of people with snakes for heads. Um, a lot of snakes in this forest. There are some enemies that are just jumbles of snakes together. Yeah. Um, 
it's also worth pointing out one of my favorite moments in this game. I, and now I'm realizing how much I love this game because everything is a favorite moment. Mm-hmm. But there are other enemies in this general area that uh, look like kind of roguish and they have these big sacks seemingly with a body in it. If they swing it at you like you really get hurt. Yeah. Um, and if they kill you, rather than going back to the hunter's dream, which at this point you've died countless times, you know the drill. If there's any thing you can take comfort in is that you know what's going to happen when you die <laughs> if one of these enemies kills you you wake up with blurred vision in a new area and you've been kidnapped mm-hmm. and uh <laughs> it's the unseen village of i think it's un- unseen village of something what is it called again yar yargul yeah or yahargul y- unseen village yeah. One of the coolest areas in the game. I, I I could not believe that that happened so organically. It was yeah. so interesting. So and this is also where the game really opens up. So you can do things in very different orders here. The first optional boss are the Witches of Hemwick. Um, I don't have much on them. This is a really easy fight, actually. Yeah. Like they turn invisible and they summon some enemies, but like this goes pretty quickly your way. It's not a hard one. No, no, not at all. You, um, you can kind of fly through it. But one of the cool things to get uh, in the Unseen Village, there's a weapon called the Tantrius. It's like a ch- uh, it's like a mace that becomes electrical. It's really cool, and it's really good against the snake enemies. In the yeah, forest. I think it's your first elemental weapon that you get, if I'm not mistaken. It's your first like arcane weapon. Yeah. yeah. Which is, I, I kind of wish they had a bit more early game arcane options, because like if you wanted to invest, because their stats... Like Dark Souls, you can kind of make any character you want, but you kind of have to stick between strength or dexterity. Arcane is kind of a niche thing that's only really viable much later on, and even then, it's kind of a novelty. Yeah, um, even just to put like a bookmark in that momentarily, one of the things that I really appreciate about these games is that it really kind of understands the world in which it's being released. Like I, I think FromSoft is so smart about understanding like if we're going to release a game in the 2010s, that means that there is social media and there are people on forums and Reddit exists and things like that. And they're so comfortable obfuscating as much as possible, knowing that like a wiki will pop up eventually that will have all this information. So like you can start a game, look up what weapons you're interested in and then spec all your points into that, you know, like before you've even purchased the game, you can do all of that. Um, And they kind of expect it of you. And like, that's almost like, part of the the charm of playing a FromSoft game is like knowing that there's an entire community of people online who are also trying to figure it out alongside with you. I just love that. Yeah. There's also a boss, uh, which I don't also have much to say, but they are a cool design. At the end of the Unseen Village, a Dark Beast Parl is an yes. optional boss. Yes. Oh my God, that one's so fun. Yeah. It's like a weird electrical hedgehog demon. Just jumps um, a lot. Yeah. It's yeah. great. It, again, probably another more Dark Souls-esque boss uh, yeah. than the other ones. Before we anything that isn't like a bunch of like bodies floating in a True. river of gra- gravy or barbecue sauce. Yeah. Before we uh, skate by the the weird forest, um, that is the first time you see some cosmic shit. Um, oh yeah. Depending so on which which direction you head down, you will see these little like kind of bulbous blue beings that like. Honestly, because I, I can't think of a better reference, um, look a little bit like Mr. Meeseeks from Rick and Morty. Like they, they do. They just kind of like run at you. And then when they get close to you, they look like um, like ferrofluid. And they just kind of like spawn a bunch of tentacles from their big bulbous blue heads. 
Um, that'll fuck you up a little bit, uh, but not really that much. They're so easy to kill, and it's just like confusing when you see them. Yeah, like they're not. They don't pose much of a threat. It's just more also of like this. A, this looks so unlike anything that you've run into so far that you don't really even know what to do about it. This whole game is like gray, black, red, and orange. Mm-hmm. And to see anything blue suddenly, like what is that? And like glowing like, slightly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other than Dark Beast Parlor, who's like electric, it, it's it's really. It's and it's somehow not jarring, but you're just like, whoa, okay, there are aliens. Suddenly. Yeah, right. Um, or there are like aliens in this world that like I don't understand yet. But yeah, they they are just sort of around. There's no like big thing yet. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. So uh, other another another optional boss is uh, amygdala. Amygdala. Um, amygdala. I don't think I fought them actually. Oh man. Yeah, you you can uh, you can get to amygdala. I think here, um, I most people will find amygdala later. I believe when you have more insight. Um, but amygdalas are are the big beings that appear once you have enough insight. Um, oh and, yeah, and the, you the great get ones to fight like one. on the yeah. Oh cool. I think don't you have to talk to Patches the or not Patches? What's his name? Who's the recurring thief in the Dark Souls games? Oh shit. Um, I I will never remember. But it yes. might be patches. Hold on. You, I think it might be patches. It is patches. Yeah. Patches is a recurring character in the Dark Souls games that is like this thief who like sweet talks you and then always kicks you off a cliff. That's like mm-hmm. his yeah his thing. And it's kind of I think Miyazaki has joked that that's like him in the game, which is like that's kind of the design of these games. Like at their most mischievous is like thinking you know something, and then they kick you off a cliff. Yeah. Um. Patches is in this game as a spider, and I think he leads you to amygdala mm-hmm. um, or amygdala. Uh, so that's an optional Queen boss. Queen amygdala. Not... Queen amygdala. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the next boss, also one of my favorites, is the Shadows of Yarnum. This is the end of the forest. Yeah. Um, it's very this... Ringwraiths, Lord of the Rings vibes. Yes. Uh, this boss also, like, a lot of the bosses have some kind of introduction usually and like not a cutscene, but you know they're either in a big open area or like whatever yeah this boss kind of just shows up uh there are three like you said ring wraiths one has a one has a sword and it tries to just come at you with that you know standard stuff one has a candle and a sword and that one will like do come at you from a different angle and also sometimes blow this the flame on you and then one is like a mage in the distance that throws homing fireballs at you. So you're getting three very different types of attacks at you and you just have to take all of them out. Um, yeah. The thing that makes it really hard is that uh, once you take out one or once enough time has passed, they transform and they all get snakes for heads. <laughs> of, course. of course. Yeah. <laughs> and they get harder. And once there's only one left, they just start summoning giant snakes everywhere. Um, yes it's one of the most this is this is one of the trickiest bosses i think um it's at least one of the like if you're not prepared for the phases you could be like oh my god i can't believe there's like more i have to deal with yeah (laughs) um it's a cool fight i i think at this point if you're this far in the game you're already in so like just keep doing what you're doing right yeah yeah it's Um, it's just it's more overwhelming than it is difficult like one once your brain is able to parse 
how you're supposed to take them down, it, it kind of becomes a little bit easier. But it just seems so insurmountable at the beginning in the same way the Bell Gargoyles do in Dark Souls. Yeah. And this is also like, just like the Cleric Beast is sort of the f- visual finale of the first area of Yarnum, this is like the finale of the woods. Yes. Um, so moving on. Uh, so after the Shadows of Yarnum, you get to the uh, more of the academy and library settings, like I mentioned earlier in our discussion. And this is my favorite boss in the game, at least visually. Rom the Vacuous Spider. What a title. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. This fight. You get, to, you get out of the woods and you get to this library and you get to... There's a really tough hunter-esque enemy in the library that you have to fight. And once you get to the balcony, there is an old man in a rocking chair <laughs> that seemingly has celestial growths on him. Yeah. Um, if you look closely enough. And if you talk to him, he just points and kind of grumbles and points in the direction. Yeah. Um, you learn that he was actually one of the, in the lore, he's a pretty big deal. And he did a lot of research on the great ones, which are kind of these Lovecraftian gods and was trying to mm-hmm. ascend, uh, hence the growths on him. Yeah. Uh, and, and Rom was his attempt on making a great one, which ultimately wasn't quite successful. But uh, hence the term vacuous. Yes. Um, but you, if you follow the direction he points, you jump into the water and suddenly you're in this like weird, tranquil dream space. And Rom, the vacuous spider, is in the distance. It has like a weird comet for a face and a weird spider body and it summons a bunch of spiders. Yeah. But what it, what's really interesting is that emulating the great ones has this weird fuzz to it that is very similar to the like plant life in the hunter's dream. Mm. So suddenly there's a visual connection between what should be a great one and the hunter's dream. Yeah. Also worth noting that pale blood is like the unspoiled, like uh, ambrosia blood of the great ones. Yes. And the doll, I never did this cause I'm, it feels mean. Uh, if you, if you attack the doll, eventually she dies she responds when you come back, but I only bring it up because if you do that, she bleeds white. So there's some oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Some strong implications there that the doll might be connected to the great ones in some way. Yeah, um, interesting. And it is communicating with you in some way to uh, and the various endings kind of aid that theory in different ways. Yeah, but the the doll is obviously some kind of force uh, that's beyond kind of the the physical realm yes um anything to add to rom uh, i do have something to say about how this fight ends but i want to i feel like i've been doing a lot of talking oh yeah no I, I i love this fight this is the one that i think most people view as like the second wall like this fight i think is both your reward and your punishment for getting this far in the game right where like you you are being rewarded in that it is the most visually like jarring shocking beautiful thing that you've seen in the game so far um depending on how you feel about strange bulbous mr meeseeks lookalikes uh you might think that they were more <laughs> beautiful but um i think most people would would gravitate towards the arena for ron the vacuous spider so it, it is in that way a reward where it's like hey you know how like you have been constantly unsettled unsure of where you are unsure of what's happening whatever like not only are we uh, rewarding you with this beautiful vista, but we're also punishing you with one of the hardest bosses in the game and something so fucking left field that 
any semblance of an idea you had about what this game was about has just gone right out the window. Yeah, if if Father Gascoigne is the end of Act One, this is the end of Act Two. This is like, yeah, this is like stage curtains fall, the audience goes lobby and goes, "What the fuck?" Yeah, (laughs) I can't believe there's another two hours left of this play. Somebody calls Um, their mom and says, "Can you pick me up?" (laughs) Yeah, I feel sick. Uh, (laughs) Um, I mean, and and there's no, there's no. But the witches of Henwick killed it. I think they did a great job. The performance was um, incredible. There's nothing yeah. there's nothing that drives that point home more than the fact that the entire world state changes after Rom. Like Yeah, so it, that's yeah. what I wanted to bring up. So once you defeat Rom, one of again, one of the handful of cutscenes in the game, uh, it cuts to your character standing in front of a full moon that's red, and you hear the crying of an infant, and you see a brief image of a pregnant woman in a bloody wedding dress. And then you like wake up and suddenly a great one, uh, uh, um, amygdala, or yeah. amygdala is staring at you in the face and you're back in the chapel. But suddenly you can see that these beings are all over, like they're crawling on the walls of Yarnum like bugs, but they're giant and just sort of fixed in place watching. Yep. It is so fucking cool. Like it's not like that was scary, but I found it like, I'm like, okay, this game rules. Like they are just one-upping themselves constantly yeah because they kind of hint at something that's going on because there's a part near the chapel where uh if you stay at one area in the graveyard you see this weird rush of like smoke and then you get picked up by something invisible then like thrown somewhere and now if you go there you see like the the great one holding you in its grasp um they look a lot like uh in twilight princess the weird like like clock faced tentacle demons you yes, fight. Yes, yes, um, yes. Definitely. Again, probably a similar uh inspiration. Um so cool. Uh do you wanna now pick up the list from here? because uh, I, I know I've been reading through it. If you wanna go through, I want you oh. to lead the way. Okay, sure. Yeah, so uh at at a certain point uh you end up in in this uh interesting area that just has uh, kind of bathed in a blood red horrific moon uh and and like a we are now getting like very very celestial in in terms of um in terms of atmosphere where like you have the the same gothic cathedral horror shit that's going on with the entire setting beforehand but it's now just bathed in a horrific red um and and the first boss that you fight in in that space is uh, the one reborn in this like almost like kind of bombed out cathedral now um which just you know leaves the the sky open to be viewed while you fight what is essentially like a nightmare homunculus of you know hundreds and hundreds of bodies like stitched together uh in in a frightening unholy way um this this, is the boss i got up to in my first character yeah i was just about Um, to say so this was the last boss you fought right yeah this is the last boss i fought and i didn't it's not that i hit a wall i mean this is a tough fight but i just i got far enough where i'm like i did i committed to the axe and the pistol I didn't like my character build enough to like go completely forward with that. So I started another character, used the cane and the pistol. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like that more. Um, but now I have zeal with the blunderbuss and the saw. And honestly, that might be the character I beat the game with. Cause like, it's great. I Definitely. Great yeah. I mean, th- there are some, uh, 
there are some weapons I would recommend. Like definitely the the uh, the Kirk Hammer is just brilliant. Um, yeah, there's Ludwig's Holy Blade. I don't know if you ever got that one. Uh, I I know that one. I know I've seen it in action. It's really it cool. Just switches between a one handed sword and a two handed great sword. Um, that was how I beat the game the first time. Was was yeah. Ludwig's Holy Blade. Um, because there's a powered up version of it that just does electric damage always, which is just incredible. Um, yeah. It's it definitely like the Ultima weapon of Bloodborne. It's like a very cool because like most of the weapons are like you know like you use this to like skin a beast. But like that was like an actual sword. That yeah. Like, yeah, that and the Kirk Hammer just have the most fun transitions between yes. the two. Like yes, the, the the mid combo transitions are just so ridiculous. Yeah, um, especially because awesome. the the uh, second time I played the game was as Waluigi, and I used the Kirk Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> um just so fun anyway uh the one reborn just this big terrifying like massive flesh uh it's it's not a super difficult fight at this point uh for for people i would imagine it's pretty much just like hey there's this big thing and it's gonna spin around much faster than a thing that big should and you just need to avoid it like that's pretty yeah honestly it. this game kind of i think it's harder in the beginning and then once you kind of get it, it it's sort of you kind of breeze through it after a while yeah you're just along for the ride really more yeah. than anything else yeah uh, which I think honestly is a brilliant way of structuring this game because that has to have been intentional. Um, yeah. I mean, they just want to show you as much wild shit as they possibly can. And boy, do they. Um, yes. Yeah. So anyway, um, moving on past uh, the one reborn, you end up uh, in an orphanage uh, where you can like kind of make your way through some secret areas uh, and fight uh, a thing called the Celestial Emissary, which uh, is now your like, Okay, remember when you were wandering through the uh, Forbidden Forest and Hagrid told you not to, but you did it anyway, and you ran into Voldemort, and Voldemort was surrounded by a bunch of strange blue Mr. Meeseeks lookalikes. Um, did you dream that? Did you not? Was that just the Forbidden Forest, you know, and, and, and the weird uh, hallucinogenic smog that, that persists there? No, not the case, because the Celestial Emissary is here, and he is a very, very tall version of the thing you saw in the Forbidden Forest. Uh, and again, not a difficult fight in that he is very easy to take down or it is very easy to take down, but there are a ton of the smaller ones that come at you during that fight. And that yeah. is where the difficulty lies is like, this is, um, maybe outside of ROM, one of the only fights where you are just being like completely swarmed by enemies and you need to also be taking out a boss. And it's just all yeah. about prioritizing your own survival. It, yeah. It's, it's not too bad, but it, I think it, it's purpose is more about like boldly announcing like these things are here and they're now on the main stage, you know, like this yeah. is, the celestial, the cosmic element is now like taking the spotlight away from the from the grotesque werewolf stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that fight is just like really fun in that you're finally getting the uh, the um, like you have the you have the Lovecraftian element in in the amygdala and and the uh, the you know all seeing gods and shit like that. But this is the like true. Okay, there's like an even more ridiculous level. Like we're just exploring everything we possibly can simultaneously. We're throwing it all in into one pot yeah. and just like seeing what comes out the other end, um, which is fun. Um, after after Celestial Emissary, uh, you're back in like some lecture halls and and some stuff, um, and that is where you uh, end up in the quote unquote nightmare of Mensis, which is where you fight uh, your favorite boss, I think, Mikolash. Uh, yeah, he's a dude with the cage on his head who just runs away from you. Yeah, he, he uh, just runs. kind of boss. Yeah. yeah. 
he runs in a maze and you have to kind of follow him through different areas. It's, it, it is a little, uh, I, this is past where I played, but I've seen footage of it and like, it looks kind of tricky, but it doesn't seem to be a tough fight. No, no, no. It's very easy. Uh, it's really just about like following him around as, as he like giggles and turns around. I mean, it's just skull kid, you know, like that's really all. Yeah, it is. But this is also like, this is another fight that is here to serve as like, cause there are, you know, a few cutscenes. This is, this fight is almost like a big cutscene where like you enter a room full of, of skeletons with cages on their heads. There's some like weird mass suicide almost to like, ascend into a realm of dreams that's where you go yeah. to fight him um really weird really fascinating would suggest looking at the mickey artistic interpretation of this guy uh yeah. the disney characters that i mentioned earlier very funny yeah um yeah so what's after mikolash yeah after you fight mikolash um is is probably one of my favorite bosses uh it's marigo's wet nurse which is just like so she is one of the great ones the only one that uses like weapons, like real. Oh wait, weapons. isn't there a boss before that? The uh, daughter of the cosmos. Um. Oh shit! Yeah. Wait. Yeah, we skipped that one. That that's after the slash eleven. Because Margot's wet nurse is like one of the second to last. That's like one of the last bosses. Yeah, uh, Ebritas, daughter of the cosmos. Yeah. Uh, holy shit! Yeah, that fight is wild. Um. Yeah, that's pretty she much. She is just a like great a, one. Yeah. Yeah, she is a great one. Pretty much just like a big tentacly nightmare that you have to fight like in a cave under everything else. Uh, she's just like yeah. floating around in the water and uh, is just grotesque in like every way I think could be grotesque. Like it, yeah, it has giant wings that are pretty much just big blue veins that are like kind of stitched together, I guess in a way um, it is uh, the most alien looking thing that you will fight. Like you fight the, the celestial emissary and that thing looks like an alien. This is like what I would imagine an alien to actually look like in that it is yeah, almost it's unrecognizable. Yeah. yeah. It looks like you took a deep sea fish and threw it on the surface. Like the gravity is affecting it in a way that makes <laughs> it look like unintelligible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really, really awesome. That was I a love, fight I that personally I, I thought was really, really, really difficult right when I started fighting it. I was like this, I, I don't even know how to begin. Um, and then after like a couple deaths was like, Oh yeah, it all clicked immediately. And then I just like flew through it. Um, yeah, but yeah, th this, this is one of those ones that is like intimidating purely because of the incredible, almost like unbelievable visual design and uh and and as soon as you're able to like wrap your head around it and like figure out how you're actually supposed to be attacking it it's like oh yeah okay i get it now um yeah it's great it's, great. it's a cool fight um oh yeah is uh Margo's i thought that one was optional one? i forgot that that wasn't um uh yeah, yeah marigo's wet nurse uh very cool that, so pretty much at this point you're at the top of um like a castle essentially uh, and, and Marigo's wet nurse is, um, sitting there like with a cradle, if I'm not mistaken, if I, if I'm recalling correctly, like she's like pushing a cradle back and forth. Um, I forget what the, what the baby is in this case, but anyway, um, Marigo's wet nurse, uh, is, is just this like kind of, uh, grim reaper esque, but, st but winged being with like a bunch of arms and a bunch of, uh, like scythes in each hand, like, like little hand. Oddly scythes. empathy though, under the cloth. Yes. Nothing going on yeah. there. And just kind of floats like the wind around you. And the, the arena is, uh, this like has this very harsh moonlit, 
casting upon it. Uh, it is it is just a very visually like beautiful fight uh, that is extremely fucking hard. Um, at least it was for me. Uh, I, I found this one really difficult, especially because I was using big heavy things, and this thing moves fast. Um, well, then this is this is potentially the last boss in the game, depending on actions taken. Um, potentially, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I forgot there's there's an ending, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it's a, it's a cool fight. Um, recommend, recommend fighting Marigold's wet nurse. Definitely get this far. I would recommend you go back and, and at least get, I'm to going here. to, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to do the whole thing with zeal. I think I don't know if I'm going to stream the whole thing, but I'm definitely going to, uh, try to finish it. So what I know what follows Margot's wet nurse is you go back to Garman, who is, uh, he is sometimes in the dream. He's kind of like. Other than the doll, he's the first person that sort of helps you. He says, like, hunters come here and, you know, I've seen them come and go and you're a hunter. And he's not really helpful. He's kind of creepy. But, you know, he he tells you some stuff and then he doesn't really show up for the rest of the game. Right. But he's this, like, old old person in, in a wheelchair. And uh, you go back to him at the end and he basically gives you a choice where he says, like, I can end this nightmare for you here and now. Well, he, uh, he, he gives, he heaps praise onto you pretty much first. He's uh, like, you've done a great job tonight. Just like, wow. Look <laughs> at what, a, look at what an incredible employee you've been. Like, it's also worth pointing out in the, sorry to go up in the very beginning. I forgot this. He's like, don't think about anything too much. Just go and kill some monsters. Yes. Like, which is, I feel like almost the developers being like, don't ask too many questions yet. Just enjoy it. You'll, you'll find out what happens later. Yeah. Uh, um, he is he is very pleased with your performance um and he's like as a reward i can free you from this fucking nightmare and just kill you here on the spot um and you you have the option of saying yes or no and if you say yes uh the, at that point that's when the the doll comes up and is like great job so proud of you all right time to die and then you die <laughs> he uh, cuts your head off with a scythe and then yeah. you but you do wake up in yarnum and there's like a sunrise or something so there's yes. like a somewhat ambiguously happy ending where at least like okay you got out and depending on how you're role-playing your character that might just be what your incentive is like you might not want to find out what happens and be like hey you know what like my character just wanted to get out of this place yeah there's and nothing that's... better than the fact that that might be the happy ending is you get your head <laughs> cut off and then you wake up still in yarnum <laughs> <laughs> and the doctor's like hey everything okay yeah my head's killing me do not <laughs> the credits roll <laughs> so that's one of the endings yeah. the the other one that most people do is you go like garanum no yeah. and then you fight him you fight him in suddenly you know we talked about how this goes from like uh werewolves to lovecraft to cosmic uh to like you know just straight up gothic now it gets a little anime uh oh, yeah. you know with with the like the um, reeds yeah the reeds and like the giant weapons and like mm-hmm. um it's it's awesome it's great uh and garnum's like way more agile than you think he would be uh and he's also fights like a hunter with a big scythe yeah um 
And yeah, you can you can probably go more into this than I can, but I, I just I've seen it happen and it rules. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, there's there's nothing better in any of the Souls games than the fights where you are fighting an enemy that fights exactly like you. Like those are yeah. just always the best. Uh, that's why I love Sekiro as much as I do because like that Again, is Shiro most of fight. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, actually, he doesn't really fight like you, but yeah, I think I, tell, I just totally just in terms of like you are a a human sized person fighting a human sized enemy that stand you know, is bipedal and uses a weapon. And, yeah, um, you're not fighting like a giant blob that's throwing cities at you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as a text, it's cool. It's a really good fight. Uh, it, it's fun. It's extremely fucking hard. Like it is. Like honestly, um, I haven't I haven't done the third ending, uh, which we'll talk about. But I, I think this is the hardest boss in the game. At least it was for me. Like even even hot off the heels of like fighting everyone, uh, understanding how visceral attacks work, like being un unhooked from my strange mental hang up of not using items. Like I tried everything and it took forever for me to beat Garman. Um, yeah, that dude is hard to beat. Yeah. 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 So Garanum, and if you beat him, uh, the ending is, uh, you basically become him. You are, yeah the doll kind of takes care of you and you're you stay in the dream and you help hunters uh who come there so like that could potentially be like not a best ending either do you want to get your head cut off or do you want to stay in the dream (laughs) yeah you know uh but you know like the doll uh you're basically like you could interpret that as like you're gonna be the new mentor maybe you can do a better job at it or something Mm -hmm. um the true ending or like the f- the final final ending is throughout the game of course there are three pieces of an umbilical cord that you can ingest uh <laughs> and if you as do, with every video game you know if starting from i don't i don't want to make mario do this so i was gonna be like starting at mario but i'm like no i, don't <laughs> I, was, I was just about to say worlds. you know when you move into your town and tom nook gives you a house and a piece of an umbilical cord <laughs> <laughs> oh, what do I do? Yeah, you just you hold it up like the villager stuff. <laughs> oh. Hey, Gruff still has my Pokemon Pikachu. It's like, oh, I don't have that, but I do have this umbilical cord. <laughs> um, uh-huh. So if you do that, you unlock the final, final, final boss, which is the Moon Presence, which is like I interpret it as like that is possibly if you if if one is to believe that the doll is possibly a great one in disguise. Yes. Or, you know, some kind of cosmic being. The moon presence is like the god that has kept everyone trapped in the dream in some way. Mm-hmm. Um so you fight this being in the dream and once you defeat them, you're able to uh break free. Although the player becomes like a weird like baby slug and the doll picks you up and goes like oh good hunter like you know uh i forgot what she says exactly but like she picks you up and takes care of you and and it's implied that you are possibly like you know there's a lot of references to uh to children and and rebirth in this game uh the the i think like her name was yarnum the woman in the bloody wedding dress with the baby I think it's implied that she was trying to give birth to a great one. There's like a lot of stuff like that happening in the lore and in the notes. But when you do this, when you ingest the umbilical cords, you are actually reborn as what's implied to be like a baby great one. Yeah. So it's like you did it. Like you actually ascended and the doll is going to, you know, help you become a great one, I guess. Um, yeah. And that's also up to interpretation. Like there's no like 
after saying all three of them, you could easily argue for the getting your head cut off to be the happy ending. <laughs> I, you know, I, I personally feel that that is the happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. So, cause like you don't truly ever know the doll's motives either. And that's where I think we could probably have a whole other episode of, if, if you and I like did a bit more research and like wanted to talk about like, the possible readings that we could, but I, I just kind of, I think you and I just wanted to highlight this game that we really love. And like, even just going through the bosses and kind of skimming the surface of the lore and what is implied, like I've really enjoyed just discussing this game. I, it, it makes as weird as it is and as hard as, as it is and as like emotionally draining as it can be. It's also oddly exciting. And it has, it has the feeling of adventure that, these types of RPGs can have, you know? Yeah, totally. You do feel like you've scaled this mountain by the end of it. And like, it's hard to have all this grotesque imagery and this like bummer aesthetic and still have that feeling of adventure, which I think the game somehow pulls off. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it just feels like, uh, from soft kind of firing on all cylinders in terms of like how to, how to weave a narrative into the style of combat that they've, and the style of world building that they've created with, uh dark souls but like really 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 double down on like telling an interesting story via the place you're exploring um because like dark souls look there is a story there there is lore there you are learning it through the through the item descriptions and stuff like that but i don't find it particularly like super interesting or satisfying like maybe that's a hot take bloodborne is like the more you read about it the more horrifying and incredible it becomes i think bloodborne's setting is so unique and so i mean like the setting this is a cliche like oh the setting is also a character but like it truly feels like a <laughs> yeah bloody organism that yes. you're like also learning dark souls like has some really cool i think dark souls shines more with the characters like there aren't really a lot of other than the chapel dweller and like a handful of others. There aren't really like a lot of memorable faces in the bloodborne world. It's all about the lore. Mm -hmm. It's all about the, the history and all that. Whereas dark souls, like I don't really know the history of the different factions, but like I could tell you a lot about Solaire. I could tell you a lot about Sigmire. Like I love them, mm -hmm. you know? So I think that, I think to me it's more about the people there than about everything else, despite having also its own really cool, stuff going on yeah the only other character that i would mention uh that we didn't talk about in in any of this was uh eileen the crow uh oh yeah who, who she's was just awesome. who's just another hunter you can come across frequently throughout the game uh who is like doing a very similar thing to what you're doing um i don't know if it's implied that she's also stuck in the hunter's dream i wonder if she is um but at a certain point you can quote unquote free her and uh you get her daggers which are probably my favorite weapons in the game yeah yeah, th there are some cool NPCs, but it's it's like really more sparse than even Dark Souls. Yeah. Um, I think the games that like give you the most characters are Sekiro and Dark Souls 3. Yeah. Sekiro, I think by far, like, every few blocks you meet someone else and I just love it. <laughs> you know, it ranges from like characters that have their own stories to like the dude who's hiding in a basket to the guy who wants to become a fish. Like, love that. Yeah, just um, incredible. Yeah, so I think I think that's all I really. I mean, I have a lot more to say about it, but I I think I'm about to enter my own hunter's dream very soon. Yeah, yeah, it is very. It's worth noting. It's very late while Steve and I are recording this. Um, yeah. So yeah, maybe 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 that's our cue to wrap up. I mean, we've been talking for as at least on the recording uh, almost exactly two hours. Um, yeah. 
So maybe uh, maybe that's it. Just want to say thanks again to everybody who listens to the show, everybody who uh, supported the show on Patreon and made these bonus episodes possible. Um, yeah, go play Bloodborne. It, it fucking rules. Uh, I don't think yeah, we need to do our me... normal like sign-off preamble um, or post-amble, I guess, in this case. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, this this makes me like... I, I I we sell each other on games a lot, but like I haven't felt during the recording the desire to go play something as strongly as this. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, yeah. I, I echo Brandon's sentiment. Thanks again. Uh, we're gonna sign off, and we look forward to doing another bonus episode next month. We'll yeah. see what it's about. Yeah. Uh, Donkey Kong sixty four. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Get ready for it. All right. Goodbye, everyone. See ya.